Well, today is the first Sunday in this marvelous tradition that Christians have called Lent. For many centuries now, Christians have uh, linked the season of Lent with a period of sacrifice and purification, perhaps because uh, this is a season that leads us towards the cross where Christ uh, makes the ultimate sacrifice to purify us from sin. We participate in that journey with him through acts of personal sacrifice and purification. Uh, believers have observed Lent as a 40-day journey uh, towards the cross and Easter. It's a 40-day journey reminiscent of the one that Jesus himself submitted to as he prepared his life for public ministry by going out into the wilderness, uh, into the desert. It also echoes, in a sense, the 40-year journey that the Israelites undertook as they wandered through the wilderness, uh, learning the lessons that God had for them, being purified in their own way uh, in preparation for entering into the promised land. Uh, so Lent for Christians has been a time of reflecting on and repenting of those particular things that keep us, in a sense, from entering into the promised land of God's good intentions for us. Uh, it's a season of time when we learn to depend, like Jesus did in the desert, uh, upon God alone uh, for our identity, for our sustenance, for the power for living. And for all of these reasons, Christians have tended to look at Lent as a season of giving up, or more specifically, of giving something up. They've seen it as a way of purging sin and the power of idols and idolatry from their lives. And it's a time when believers have doubled down on their efforts to obey the call of Christ to deny self and to take up their cross and to follow after him. How many of you have ever given up something for Lent? Raise your hand if you've ever given up something for Lent. That's right, you are not alone. Even now, there are people wishing they'd made a different decision uh, this past Wednesday as they are experiencing the stress of giving something up. Maybe it was caffeine or alcohol or snacks or for the really pious chocolate. Uh, that takes real devotion. A former pastor of this church just posted on Facebook that he's giving up social media for all of Lent. And uh, I'm dying to go back and check social media to find out how that's going, if it is still going for him. I know people who give up meals by fasting on certain days during the Lenten season, and tons of our Catholic friends in our family uh, give up meat on Fridays. This is, a, this is the season for fish. We ought to honor all of these different ways of, of leaning into the Lenten uh, invitation to sacrifice and to purification. A deeper connection with God can come from all of these different kinds of choices. But I want to suggest to you today that, that Lent probably also ought to come with something of a consumer warning label, as it were. Uh, because as wonderful as the typical ways that we approach this season are, if we're not careful, giving up certain things for Lent can, if you think about it, if you're really honest about it, be something of a secret or sanctified sort of self-help program. Do you, do you know what I mean by this? 
by the time Good Friday or Easter comes along, maybe we'll have shed a few pounds. Maybe we'll be feeling a little bit better about ourselves. But will we be truly closer to God? Will something have changed at the core for us that better equips us now to honor God in our lives and to live in a more creative way? Maybe we'll have exercised a little bit more self-discipline. But will we have rooted ourselves more deeply in Christ so that, like Jesus, God is now at a much deeper level the source of our sustenance, our power, our identity? Do you understand the distinction I'm talking about between merely giving a little something up and truly giving yourself up? Truly giving something within yourself that is a block between you and God and the fullness of his purposes in your life, from really sacrificing and purifying uh, that. That's why I'm so excited about this message series that we're going into. Uh, because we're going after this idea at a really deep and authentic level. Uh, we're going to push beyond the traditional, and I would add usually temporary, forms of self-denial into territory that is actually much more like wilderness to most of us. Uh, where, where the wild things are, in a sense. We're going to explore over the coming weeks some of the untamed parts of our lives that keep us from living into the fullness of who God is calling us to be. And in other words, uh, we, get, we get a certain benefit from giving up the Sunday donuts, but uh, if, if we'll give up the first orientation that we're going to start this season by exploring today, then you could just find yourself propelled to a whole new level of maturity that would glorify God and bless you and make a very big difference in the flourishing of the others around you. And that's the invitation I want to make to you today, to just begin to explore the first of these big themes um, that will enable us to give ourselves up to God in this deeper kind of way. If there's one image that fits the mindset of so many of us in our world today, it is the image of a clenched hand, of a clenched hand. I want to invite you to, to take out one of your hands and to clench it tight with me, to really clench it and to look at it. What does that image suggest to you? What is that what does that image of that clenched fist really suggest to you? Sometimes it's, it's a fist clenched in anger, isn't it? That's a theme for many of us in our lives. We go through a lot of our life just getting ready to punch back because at some point in line, in, in line we've been buffeted ourselves. We've been beaten about ourselves. Other times, it, it's a hand that's in a sense clenched in fear. Uh, you know, it's like the hand that grabs the bar when you're on the roller coaster. And sometimes life just feels like a roller coaster and it's thrashing us all over the place. And sometimes we just hold on tight in fear. Sometimes our hand shuts tight um, to protect ourselves, to keep people from taking stuff that's ours, that, 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 that we need. And so we just close our, our, our hand tight to keep people from misusing or robbing us in some way. Sometimes that clenched hand is a symbol of my sense of righteousness, uh, of my, my sense that I'm in 
the right in some way. And I will pound it on the table, boom. You know, I will pound it on the table and thunder shake the room sometimes just to demonstrate how correct I am and how much I wish others would get on board, get right with what I see as right. The scenarios vary, but this white-knuckled approach to life is something of what unites us all. I won't ask you to raise your hand this time. How many of you are living your life right now with something of a clenched fist? I, I, I know that the grip that, that I often exert is, is what I would call the clenched fist of control, of, of control. I like to be under control. I, I don't know whether it's an eldest child thing uh, or, or just some other aspect of my particular temperament, but I prefer not to be too vulnerable. I prefer not to be too far out there. I would like to not be into something too deeply where I might not know what I'm doing and other people might notice that and make fun of that. I also like to have control. I really... I often think that things will simply go better if I hold the wheel, if I'm the one driving, if I'm the guy that is moving the gear shift, if I'm the person that is, is pounding sense into other people, something in me says, Dan, you are so worthy of control. You've been given such a good brain. You've been given such a good capacities. You've been given special ability to make things run rightly. You can do it like no one else can, and what you do and choose to do will work for everybody else. If they will just let you have more sway in their life. And this is why I'm grateful that my wife and children and coworkers haven't left me yet. Because this almost neurotic sense of desiring to, to steer and drive and lead is, is a big part of me. What is this about? What is this really about for me and maybe for others of us in the sound of my voice who resonate with this? Well, Christian psychologist David Benner says, those of us who deal with this theme in our life, we come by it honestly. He says, autonomy and control are actually cardinal virtues of the West. They are cardinal virtues of Western civilization. As young children, think about this, we are praised for being big boys or girls when we learn to control our bladders, when we learn to walk on our own, when we learn to put on our socks and our shoes. Control is rewarded. Lack of control is what? It's punished. It's criticized. It's looked down on. Soon enough, we get the point, writes Benner. If we are to receive the love and the uh, esteem of other people, it is essential that we be in control, or at least appear to be. Control becomes synonymous with responsibility. And the ego knows that control is essential for success and for mastery. And so it sets this as its primary task, 
control of our drives and our impulses, control of emotions, control of our behavior, and control as much as we can of how other people see us. And as soon as we have begun to master this internal control, or at least this superficial control, it's just a very short hop to beginning to try and control other people. Because, after all, their actions may reflect on us in some way. So it's our responsibility to control them, our environment. If they won't be responsible in the ways that we feel would be more appropriate, we'll take control for them. We'll control our spouse, our kids, our co-workers. We'll try and control the other people of our country. We, we feel like this is simply being responsible. It's ironic, I think, that those of us who are actually quite imperfect, who are in many ways uh, not all-knowing, uh, will choose this particular pathway in life so often, this orientation to life, when the one being who is most perfect and who is truly all-knowing, who can see what is best for everyone, chooses to go in a different direction. And this, I think, is one of the great mysteries and wonders and challenges of the Christian life, is, is to find ourselves in the face of God and to watch how he handles himself as he moves through the world. Many years ago, the Apostle Paul was equally stunned by this orientation of God. And he writes about it in one of his most famous passages in his letter to the church at Philippi in chapter 2 in this way. Listen to the word of God. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, in other words, as I've said to you once before, if Christ has made any kind of dent on you, <laughs> if knowing Jesus, being in the company of his people, studying his word, his actions, has impacted you or influenced you in any way, then, says St. Paul, make my joy complete by being like-minded by being, having a mind, an orientation like him, like God, like Jesus. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't go through life trying to get your way or assuming that you know everything or better things for everyone else. Don't do that. Rather, he says, in humility, value others above yourselves. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Now let me emphasize this again because this is the important part of the lesson for today. The text says that though Jesus was in very nature God, translate that in common terms, he was what? God. Truly God. In every sense, God. He was truly worthy of exercising what? Absolute control. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me is the truth about him, he would say. He was genuinely the most competent person to have that authority over everyone else. And yet, the scripture says, he did not consider this status something to be used to his own advantage. The New English translation says, he did not regard his rightful position as something to be grasped. The New Living Translation says that he didn't see his rightful throne as, and I quote, something to cling to, to make a fist over. That's the mindset, isn't it, behind grasping, if you think about it in our own lives. We cling, we hold on tight to something because it seems to our advantage to do this. It works to our advantage to have this control over these things. It's why leaders of revolutions almost never give up power once they have it. <laughs> because they suddenly realize that this control works to their advantage. But Jesus lives with this radically different mindset. He is power and authority like no other kind we've ever met before, Paul is saying. Who does he want the advantage to go to, given his capacities? How do... Who does he want to, the, the benefit to accrue to with his capacities? Who is it? Us, human beings, the world, the lost, the least, the last, people. That's who he wants the advantage to go to. And, and so rather than holding on to all of the prerogatives and the privileges of heaven, the adoration of the angels, the comfort of a pure, perfect, unblemished, pain-free existence. Jesus ungrasps, he unclings, he unclenches his hand. Completely. Rather, we're told, he made himself nothing. Nothing compared to his prior position, by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. Obedient to death, even death on a cross, says St. Paul. Hands open wide, giving up all control, surrendering to the purposes of his heavenly Father and to the advantage of others. And the stunning paradox is that by this act of surrendering control, Jesus did not lose 
but actually gained in a remarkable and amazing way. Therefore, says St. Paul, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There once was a man who traveled his way through life seeking control over everything and everyone he could get control over. And he was quite successful at it. The one thing he could not control, of course, was the time of his death. And he dies and he finds himself suddenly standing at the pearly gates in front of St. Peter, and St. Peter says to him very calmly, welcome to heaven. What is the secret password for admission? And the man is momentarily flummoxed because this was something that he had not prepared for. And for an instant, he freezes up and he clenches his fists in fear that he's in trouble now when all of a sudden, all of his religious education and those church services he had gone to come flooding back to him and he begins to relax and he thinks, I've got this. The password is Jesus. And St. Peter says, we love the name of Jesus here. It's the name above every name. It isn't the password. What? Oh, I meant to say, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And Peter looks at him and says, this is who we worship. It's just not the password. And, and the man is confused. He's jarred now. Well, the password must be love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, that's good. Just not what we need to bring you in here. He says, well, then do unto others as they, uh, you'd have them do unto you. And again, St. Peter just shakes his head. But now a, a line of other new arrivals is, is massing behind him. And you can feel them and their tension trying to get to the front. And St. Peter's looking over his shoulder at those folks waiting also to come in. And the man feels panic welling up inside of him. And he says, well, the password must be go to church or or." tithe or put down the toilet seat. You can see he was really in trouble, really, really reaching for it here. And each time he offers the answer, St. Peter, St. Peter just says to him, I'm sorry, that's not it. That's not it. And the man is now just undone and he just cries out, oh, no. And he, he turns away and he begins to walk towards the down elevator. He falls to his knees and he says, I give up. And Peter says, that's it. <laughs> that is the password. That is the blessed way forward. Again, David Benner observes instinctively, we don't want to surrender. 
We don't want to surrender to God, to life's hard circumstances, to the things that go on that aren't in our plan. We certainly don't want to surrender to other people. It feels like something a person should only do when they have absolutely no other option, doesn't it? I mean, fugitives surrender when there's no possible escape. And armies surrender when they face imminent and certain defeat. Surrender under any other circumstances seems to be a mistake that compromises one's autonomy and potentially places oneself in a great peril, writes Benner, and yet properly understood, and this is the part I hope you'll take away with you today, it's the key to the whole series, surrender is an indispensable gateway to what? To life. Repeat that with me. Surrender is an indispensable gateway to life, to the life that is truly life, to the life abundant, the life eternal that Jesus wants us to know. You know, the strange thing about the iron grip of control is that it destroys the very things that we desire. Think about it. People who try and control their family and their friends, what happens? They lose them. They lose them. People bent on white-knuckled power and roles of leadership, what do they do over time? <laughs> they, they forfeit their real influence, their enduring authority. Christians who try to demand that other people follow God's ways, his precepts with clenched fists, what's the result of that? They turn people away from God. Those who try to save themselves by the strength of their own righteousness instead of God's cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. It's his strength, not ours. But something amazing happens when we surrender control. When we relax our grip on what we've been grasping, we gain this capacity to handle people with with grace and with love that is more likely to curry a response from them that's helpful. We release others to do what they might never have done had we kept holding on too tightly. Above all, we admit when we open our hands that equality with God, being the one in charge of all things, was never something we were meant to grasp never meant to hold on to like our ancestors in the garden foolishly took hold of it or tried to. When we unclench our hands, we create space for God to move first in us to fill even the unwelcome traffic jams and the tragedies of our life with the potential of a different kind of surprising grace and discovery. And we begin to imitate Jesus most of all when we do this when we open our hands. We begin to imitate Jesus, who in heaven, here on earth, supremely upon that cross, chose to unclench his hands and give himself up to the glory of his Father and for the advantage of others. The South African pastor, Trevor Hudson, puts it like this. You live either with clenched fists 
or open hands. So in closing today, I want you to think about an area of your life where maybe you have been too bent on control. Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a situation you're facing. Maybe it's a, a circumstance in your life or a condition in your own self. And, and I want you to, to, to put out at least one of your hands and picture that situation or that person sitting in that hand. Okay? Now clench your hand really tight. Do it right now. Clench it really. Hold on to that thing, that, that person or thing. How does that feel? How does that feel? Now, go the other direction and, and open your hand and give that individual or circumstance or issue up to God. And how does that feel? How does that feel? That feeling, brothers and sisters, is called freedom. It's called trust. It's called the start of the Lenten journey. Please pray with me. Lord, as we go forward in these days to come, Enable us to discern by the power of your Holy Spirit those things which you truly want us most to be giving up. And help us to unclench and to find your grace in the midst of the circumstances and the people of our life that we might be people of grace, people most supremely seen, in the likeness of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray.